Okay, good morning. We continue our study of Emuna, and I want to dedicate our learning this morning, our dear and beloved friend, Brian Galbit, Baruch Tzvi Ben Rivka Batya, Kodesh Baruch Hu should shower love, kindness, and compassion on him and on his family. He remains at the center of our thoughts, our tefillos, and uh, our hopes, our wishes for him and for his family. Okay, we've been discussing this uh, parak in and he was discussing the launching for this entire section was the mission in the fourth parak of Avos. The mission that says, There are three things that remove a person from this world, and Kavod, and we spent the last couple of weeks unpacking what that means. That when a person lives with a sense of arrogance, of ego, when a person lives with a sense of serving themselves, a selfish, egocentric life, where they're envious of what other people have, they think they deserve it, or they pursue honor, they want all the attention in the room, or they have lust and desires and an appetite which is insatiable, and they're not happy and satisfied until it's taken care of, they think this world is all about them. It's motzina sa'adam and a'olam, it removes a person from the world. And we've spent time exploring what does that mean. The world, the Rambam said, it means la'olam ha'emuna. It removes you from the world of emuna. It undermines the balanced equilibrium of our lives and it destroys the capacity to have relationships. If there's no room for anyone else, then you can't have a relationship. The whole premise of a relationship is I, thou. Martin Buber, philosophy, I still remember something from college, but the whole premise of a relationship is the capacity for I, thou, for me and you, that there's two people in the relationship. If you can never speak, if you're never entitled to an opinion, if you never get things to go your way, and it always has to revolve around me, I'm not in a relationship with anyone other than with myself. So the person who's self-centered is egocentric, the person whose life is defined and characterized by the pursuit of kinataiva v'kavod, their life is consumed by envy and jealousy, and by the pursuit of honor, and by the need to satisfy their urges, such an egocentric life, is one devoid of meaningful relationships, most of all devoid of the most significant meaningful relationship we could have with the source of all, with our Father in Heaven, with the Ribbono Shalom, the Almighty. And so Rav Volbe has unpacked exactly what that means, why these three things are a problem, and essentially what comes out is that the way to improve our amuna, the way to grow in amuna, is to work on humility. Not to sit and discuss philosophy, not to pursue and analyze all the evidence of God's existence, but rather, you don't need the Bible codes and you don't need the proofs and the evidence. What you need to work on is humility. And if we walk through life, we go through our lives not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less often. If we go through lives with a sense of life with a sense of humility and we make room for the Ribbono Shalom, we'll see Him everywhere. We'll see Him everywhere. And if I'm, if I'm sitting with you, I forgot which context in which year I said this, so I apologize if it was in this one. But, you know, if I'm sitting with you, you're in front of me, and someone whispers in my ear, you know, they're not really there, they're a figment of your imagination. They're a hologram. They are, you've taken a hallucinogen. They're not really there. I said, what are you talking about? I'm looking at them, they're right in front of me. No one can convince me otherwise. So if we see the Ribbono Shalom right in front of us, nobody can convince us otherwise. Nobody's going to convince me, ah, God's a figment of your imagination, He's the opium of the masses, He's a hologram. If I live my life with a sense of tzimtzum, where I've lived with, I hold myself back with humility, I make room for Him, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and then I see Him. 
I see him in every sunrise and every sunset. I see him in everything that works out. I see him in every breath I take and every heartbeat in my chest. I see him with every miracle that is before my eyes. I see HaKadosh Baruch Hu with every seeming coincidence and chance. I see Hashem all around me. Nobody can convince me otherwise. So last time, Revolbe, we shared the Maharal about the connection between freedom and faith. Only faith sets you free. You need freedom to have faith, and only faith provides a sense of freedom. That we are, if we're simply the composite of what the world around us tries to mold and shape us to be, then we don't have real freedom. Real freedom comes from faith in seeing Hashem. The Rabbi Soloveitchik in the Chumash on this week's Parsha, the end of this week's Parsha, Parsha's Bahar says, Avadaiheim, the end of the Parsha deals with the issue of slaves. And the Torah says, we're only slaves to Hashem, we're not slaves to man. We're slaves to Hashem. So what good was that? We exchanged one slavery for another? We got out of Egypt and we got rid of one taskmaster and we just exchanged him for another? Kodesh Baruch Hu tells us how to tie our shoelaces and how to wake up, how to eat, how to, what to do, what to look at, what to listen to, where to go, how to think, and then how to go to sleep. From the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we go to sleep, Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Almighty is regulating and legislating our day. Where's the freedom in that? What freedom did we really gain when we left Mitzrayim? And the answer is that believing in Hashem is the only way to attain true freedom. The Rav has a very beautiful description. He says, fear in Hashem, awe of Hashem, is, will relieve and release all other fears in the world. So you can walk through life with fear and anxiety about what will be with your health, what will be with your finances, what will be in this crazy upside-down world, what will be for Israel and its rockets. You could live through life with fear of public speaking and fear of going out in public and fear of heights and fear of flying and fear and phobias of this, that, and the other thing. Or you can submit to the Ribbon Shalom, realize there is a God, there's an omnipotent master plan, and if I live with a sense of His presence, it releases me of every other fear. I have nothing to fear. It's not FDR was wrong. It's not I have nothing to fear but fear itself. I have nothing to fear but Hashem Himself. And if I fear Hashem Himself, then I have nothing else to fear. Because whatever will be was meant to be. Whatever will be is by design. So if we embrace HaKadosh Baruch Hu as our master, if we see ourselves, our mission, our purpose in this world as serving Him, then we have nothing to fear. There's no anxiety. There's no worry. There's nothing that can stop us because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is all good. He is our Father in Heaven, and He has a master plan for us all. So I, I want to, we'll finish this piece by Revolba, but I want to just add a caveat that I think is very much on all of our minds. I know it's on my mind. On what it means when the Rambam says that these three things remove a person from the Olam HaEmunah. Kinnataiva Vakavod. Envy, jealousy, lust remove us from the world of Emuna. And I think a corollary of this is one of the ways that we are egocentric in our lives, one of the ways that we are self-centered and arrogant, is when we think we're entitled to understand everything. When we go through life with the arrogance that we deserve an explanation, that we deserve to understand, that the world has to conform to the way we want it to be. And when people around us suffer, When people that we love struggle, then our arrogance tells us, I don't know if there's a God, or I don't know if there's truth, or I don't know why He would do this, and I refuse to accept. Our amuna is shaken. Our amuna 
our amuna is fragile. But that's because we're at the center of our circle. When we worship ourselves, when we inflate our ego, when we live with arrogance, we think we're entitled. And who said we're entitled to understand anything? It's motzina sa'adam in ha'olam. You want to live in this world, it's not your world. You want to live in this world, you're not entitled to anything. You want to live in this world, we are finite, fragile, limited, and the Almighty, the Rebona Shalom, is infinite, omnipotent. He is perfect and all-knowing. Chavetz Chaim gives the famous mashal of when you look at the tapestry from the front, you see the beautiful image. If you look from the back, you see these loose threads all tied. None of it makes sense and none of it looks right. We live in this world looking at the back of the tapestry. We see all those loose threads and we wonder, what is this mess? What is this big, ugly, fat mess? Threads everywhere, none of it looks like it makes any sense. Knots, some hanging longer than others. What is this picture? It's ugly, it's horrific, it makes no sense. And only in the afterlife do we get to turn it around and see the beautiful picture that, it was, that was composed, that was put together. None of the, there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to understand. Moshe himself wants to understand. Moshe challenges the Rebbe Shalom. And he says, Hashem, show me your face. Show me your face. I want to understand. And Hashem says, you could see the back of my head. You can't see the front of my face. And the commentaries understand. What is Hashem answering? You could see the back of my head means you could understand things after the fact. If you're lucky and if you're fortunate and sometimes in this world and often not until the next, will you be able to retrospectively interpret why things happened the way they did? But don't be so arrogant and entitled to think that you can live life facing forward, that as things unfold, you will always understand them and they will always make sense because they won't. We are children and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is our father and our children don't always understand why we do what we do. And very often it feels to them like it makes no sense and like it's punitive and harsh and we are cruel. When we slap their hand, when they put their finger in the outlet, or we patch them if they run in the street, or if they get a little older, we tell them they can't go out on a Saturday night where everyone else is going, or they can't participate, or they can't wear that, or they can't try that, or they can't go there, they cry and they scream and they yell, you hate me and I hate you, what kind of parent are you and I never want to talk to you again. Until they get a little older and they see the back of our head. And now they look back and say, I can't believe you ever let me go. What's the matter with you that you <laughs> registered or let me go or let me participate? What were you thinking? And now they become parents and they second guess what you did. Instead of yelling at you that you didn't let them do, they yell at you that you let them do too much. Because now they see the back of your head instead of the front of your face. And we have to understand with a sense of profound humility and at the same time profound pain. Because there's nothing pleasurable about looking at the back of a tapestry. There's nothing enjoyable. It's painful when it doesn't make sense and it doesn't come together and it looks ugly. It's painful. And that's okay. Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't expect it to be pleasurable. But he asks us to have the faith and confidence in him that as Avinu Shemeshemayim, as our loving father, there's another side to that tapestry where there is a magnificent, beautiful picture that comes together. Even if we can't see it right now even if we can't see it right now. Painful things happen to good people, bad things don't happen. Nothing a Kaddish Baruch Hu does by definition is bad. All that a Kaddish Baruch Hu does is good. And even when it feels extraordinarily painful, devastatingly painful, catastrophically painful, unbearably painful, it's not bad, it's painful. And that's the confidence a Kaddish Baruch Hu asks us to have in Him, is that He only does things for the good. And when we struggle, 
to accept that, it's because our ego, our arrogance, our sense of entitlement, not only our entitlements, the Magiali in the physical world, I deserve to walk and I deserve to breathe and I deserve to feel good and I do, who says you deserve anything? I deserve a house and a car and food and I deserve everything I want. Who says we're entitled to anything? So we struggle with entitlement in the physical way and we struggle with entitlement in a spiritual way. We are not spiritually entitled to understand or comprehend. Those were not the rules with which HaKadosh Baruch Hu deposited us in this world. He was gracious and benevolent and kind enough to create us and let us live in His world. And if we are consumed by our own ego and arrogance and need to understand, it's motzir sa'adam min ha'olam. We have removed ourselves from His world. We can't have a relationship with Him. A relationship with Him is predicated on the prerequisite that we submit to Him, that we won't understand, that there is a bigger picture, that He sees the other side of the tapestry, and all we see are the loose hanging threads. That's what we get to see. That's what we have. That doesn't ease the pain at all. It doesn't make it easier to go through. But that's our responsibility is to recognize. And to me, I find it extraordinarily comforting. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? That we live in a world of randomness and chance and statistics, that X number of people will die for this reason, next number of people for that reason, next number of people will get this illness, X number of people will be hit by a car, X number of people will... That's better? That it's just random and chance and statistics and data? That's more comforting? There's nothing more comforting to know that we have a father who sees further, who knows more, who has a master plan, that there is another side to the tapestry and one day we'll see it. And as painful, unbearably painful as things are now, we have to submit our ego and practice humility and make room for the Ribbono Shalom to do what he does. And you know what he does? Everything he does is good. It can be painful, but it's good. When we undergo an operation, it's painful, but it's therapeutic, it's healing, it's good. There are things that are both painful and good, even when it's hard to see it that way. And I think that's very much part of what Revolba is getting at in this, in this essay, is that our responsibility is to plow forward, not to get stuck with emuna, with a mission, with a task. We always say, I've said it so many times, Rabbi Soloveitchik's insight about not asking lama but lama. When we see people suffering, when we are struggling, to not get caught and stuck on lama, why? Why do these things happen? But lama, what do I do now? How can I improve? How can I be better? How would the person who I care so much about who's suffering be reacting right now if he were on the other side? What would he be doing to better himself and better this world? And he wouldn't be getting stuck. And that's what tonight and tomorrow are all about. Tonight and tomorrow we're going to celebrate Lagba Omer. And the famous question that's asked, and too many don't pause to ask it, but when you hear it, you will realize what an obvious question it is and be bothered by it. If you wake a child in the middle of the night and you say, why do we observe Lagba Omer? Big bonfire and music and barbecue and party and happiness and joy and haircuts and resuming simchas in our life. What are we celebrating? Wake a kid in the middle of the night and they'll say, we're celebrating the fact that Rabbi Akiva's students stop dying, Lagba Omer which is the most absurd thing in the world. If you ever just stop and think about it for a moment, right? That's one of those things we were taught as little children, so we just accept it and move on with it. But if we'd ever stop to think about it, we'd realize that is absurd. You think when they liberated Auschwitz or Bergen-Belsen or Dachau, you think the day the people stopped dying, they made a bonfire and fireworks at a barbecue and established it as a celebratory day on the calendar? There's nothing celebratory about it. It's a tragic, tragic day. 
And moreover, do you know why Rabbi Akiva's students stopped dying? Because they were all dead. There was no one left to die. It wasn't that a Kodesh Baruch Hu chose the plague was over. There was no one left to die. And for that, we make fireworks. Woohoo! Big party! Crank up the music. Let's dance. They stopped dying. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So there are several commentaries who all offer this same explanation that I find incredibly powerful and inspirational. Incredibly powerful and inspirational. And they say the following. We don't observe Lagba Omer because people stop dying. You know why we observe Lagba Omer? Because Rabbi Akiva came back from 24,000 funerals. And Rabbi Akiva came back from delivering 24,000 eulogies. And he paid 24,000 shiva calls. You can only imagine. Rabbi Akiva, by the way, is the eternal optimist. If you study Rabbi Akiva throughout Shas and about his whole life, he is the eternal optimist, even after 24,000 funerals, eulogies, and shiva calls. And you know what he did? I'll tell you what I would have done. I'd hang him up. I'd retire. I'd find the century village in the Golan. I'd play shuffleboard. I'd find a nice palm tree. I would open my Gemara. I'd say, clearly, I'm not cut out for teaching because I didn't get the message of it's Rabbi Akiva who says that this is the driving central principle in Torah. And I'd say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not cut out for this. Jewish people aren't worthy of this. This was a disaster. I'm broken. I'm empty. I am, have gone through unbearable pain. I'm done. Is that what Rabbi Akiva does? You know what he does in Lag Bomer? He came back from the last funeral where he had delivered the last eulogy and he paid the last shiva call and the very next thing he did was he found five new students and he started all over again from the beginning. According to some it was seven, according to most it was five. He found five new students. He identified five new students who could be the leaders who could continue the transmission of our Torah Shabbat Peh and he started all over again. You know what the holiday of Lag Omer is about and why we're celebrating? We're not celebrating the end of a plague or the end of dying. We're celebrating new beginnings. We're celebrating the capacity to go through tragedy and find the strength and the courage and the will to go on. Lag Omer is the holiday of continuing the mission, of pursuing with purpose. Lag Omer is following in Rabbi Akiva's footsteps that we don't give up. And no matter how difficult it is to accept or comprehend or how painful it is to experience, we continue to go forward. We know what we have to do. It's the holiday of not after 24,000 funerals saying Lama, but saying Lama. Rabbi Akiva said, what's next? And by the way, if he hadn't, we would not have Torah the way we do. Those five students became the leaders of the next generation, the transmitters of Torah, and without them, it would be lost. Our oral tradition, our Torah Shabbat would be lost. Minchas Asher of Asher Weiss describes, he's a magnificent essay, where he shows that, can you remember, can you quote any of the 24,000 students? Go through Shas, and we don't have one memra, we don't have one saying, we don't have one halachic conclusion of any of those students. Zero, nothing, erased, gone. But these five new students, we have their teachings. And so many of their teachings emphasize and focus on how we treat one another. They learned that lesson. And they understood Torah is not an academic or intellectual exercise. It's not a rule of law. Torah is about relationships. It's about character. It's about midos. It's about a moral compass. And so many of those five students throughout Shas, their teachings 
are all about interpersonal relationships and valuing one another and how we treat one another. So like Baomer, tonight and tomorrow, we're going to celebrate, not just being able to trim our beards, but we're going to celebrate the fact that we don't get stuck. Whatever we're going through, Rabbi Akiva went through 24,000 times and he didn't get stuck. He kept his eye on the ball of what was our mission and purpose and he did what he had to do and he started again and we're only here and we have what we have because of it and that is a source of inspiration for us all. Okay, we're on the bottom of page Nun Beis, back to Revolba. Olama shal Shabbos. B'Shabbos anuchayim ba'olam shal Amuna. So the next, and here about Menasa Yechia in this parak, Olam Ha'amuna, Revolba says, the day of the week where we plug in and re-energize and recharge our Amuna is the Helega Shabbos. Yom This day is very special. A person who lives and who merits to experience Shabbos the way it was intended and designed to be, Nimtza ba'olam acher umizromim l'mishor ha'amuna. For 24 hours a week, you transport yourself to another world. You see, there are two ways to experience Shabbos. Ach, Shabbos is coming. I got to cook. I can't use the internet. I can't watch. I don't know what's going on in the world. I count down to Havdalah. I can't wait for it to be over. Or I count down for Shabbos. I count down for Kiddush. I count down for candlelighting. I can't wait to escape and to transcend. I can't wait to transport to another world. 24 hours. I'm not riddled by suffering and tragedy. I'm not, I'm not held back by my to-do list and my responsibilities and my work obligations and my troubles and my problems and my bills and my doctor's appointments. For 24 hours, all that goes up on a shelf. And for 24 hours, I'm royalty. And I sit at my royal table and I sing my songs and I enjoy my company and I eat my delicacies. And for 24 hours, it's me'en olam haba. Shabbos is me'in olam haba. Shabbos is a taste of the world to come. The world to come is a place there are no worries and there are no challenges and there is no doubt. All there is is ecstasy and bliss and we have the ability to achieve that and to draw that down to this world. But we have to take the initiative and we have to make the effort. How do we dress for Shabbos and how do we speak on Shabbos and do we have an agenda and itinerary at our Shabbos table? And what does our Shabbos table look like and what is the attitude that we bring towards Shabbos? And when we are royal and regal, and when we elevate ourselves and our conversations, we transport ourselves and our families. Shabbos is such a welcome reprieve. It's a place of refuge and protection. I promise you, when you finish Havdalah, it will all be there waiting for you. The bills and the doctor's appointments and the to-do lists and the medicine cabinet and all the challenges in life, I promise you after Havdalah, it's waiting for you. Kiddush to Havdalah. That's me'in olam haba. Those 24, 25 hours, that's ours. To enter a world of amuna, it's us and Hashem. We sing songs and we feel Hashem's love and Hashem's presence and we taste the world where we are whole and complete. Shemon Esri, the Amida all week long, is made up of 19 brachas. Three in the beginning of praise, three at the end of gratitude, 13 in the middle, bakasha. We ask Hashem for things. 19 brachas. Shemon Esri, 18. We added the 19th Vala But the 13th, the main middle section, is all about Hashem. Give me knowledge. Give me health. Give me parnasa. Give me justice. Give me redemption. Shema koleinu. Give me. I have my own personal laundry list of things. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. I want, I want, I want. That's the whole week long. Shabbos comes. How long is the Amidah? How many brachas on Shabbos? Seven. Three in the beginning, three at the end, and there's just one middle bracha, Mikadesh Shabbos. 
God, you sanctify Shabbos. The number seven reflects wholeness, completion, like the days of the week or the days of creation. Because Shabbos, I'm whole, I'm complete. I don't have needs. Bakashas, Saturday night, Marav. I'll get back to my bakashas. I have a lot to ask for for the week ahead. But Shabbos, all I have to say is Mekadesh HaShabbos. Shabbos, all there is, is the sanctity of Shabbos, the escape of Shabbos, the serenity, the tranquility of Shabbos, the refuge of Shabbos. But Shabbos, Shabbos, we're not allowed to create. We are at rest and at peace with nature. On this day, we have complete amuna, and therefore, we release ourselves entirely to the world of creation. Kaddish Baruch who's in charge, he is the creator, and he remains in charge of creation. So six days a week, we work. We spoke about this in the Pasha class this week. Kashmita follows the same model. Six years, plant your field. Six years, your vineyard. Six years, harvest your produce. And then, Shabbat Shabbaton, then you have Shemitah. Six days, conquer the world. Innovate, make progress, control, manipulate nature. Understand, work, create. Six days, you're in charge. And the seventh, let it all go. You're in charge of nothing. Seventh day Shabbos is a day of Amuna. Six days a week I turn on my lights on and off and I use the computer and I use my voice control and I drive my car. Six days a week I control everything and the seventh day I relinquish control. I am in control of nothing. I don't even turn on a light switch. That's how little control I have. All I do is relinquish control to Hashem. So the seventh day is occupied davening and learning and singing and fun and time with my family and recreation and shluf, making up sleep from the entire week. I saw a great study that showed that you can make up for a lack of sleep a whole week on the weekends. You need sleep, you need the right amount of sleep, but even when you're sleep deprived, we previously had thought that if you're sleep deprived, you need to spread out your sleep to get the right amount of sleep every night. The study said it's not true. If you're sleep deprived, you can make up for it. It's Mama Shabbos. That's what uh, Shabbos, is, uh, Shabbos is all about. Shabbos is all about. Not just sleeping, but it's all about. So six days a week I control, I manipulate, I'm in charge. The seventh day, I let go. I'm in charge of nothing. I relinquish. It is the day of Amuna. Balatanya bir ba'ofenacher. Ravoba quotes the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe. Komalacha melamatas melachas ben samtemes adam l'tocho oso peula. Each of the thirty-nine categories of creator labor, it limits us, it reduces us, it consolidates us into that activity. Lidugma, for example, b'malachas kosev u'mitzamtemes atzmal liniyar u'lenusach shamar lechtov bo. When it comes to writing, all you are right now is the piece of paper and the ink and whatever it is that you want to compose. We don't reduce ourselves and consolidate ourselves to just be something physical. We're doing the opposite. We are releasing ourselves. We're broadening ourselves. We have no limits. We're limitless. We're climbing to a higher place. Right now, if I'm writing something, all I am is the paper and the pen and what I want to be writing. There's nothing else about me. That's all I am in that moment. Shabbos, we don't occupy ourselves with the 39 categories of creative labor where that's all I am. I fly, I release, I soar to a higher, higher place. And a person who soars can live with emuna at a higher caliber. Six days a week, you're in charge. So much to do. 
and I have so much responsibility and so much I can solve and create and do. The seventh day, I rest. I let it all go. The only thing I have to do is renew my sense of the one who's really in charge of the Ribbon Shalom. And that's up to us. The attitude, the sights, the flavors, the sounds, the smells that we bring to Shabbos, it's up to us. It's up to us. And I'll say to you, ladies, it is particularly up to you. I don't know if it's uh, politically correct in today's day and age, but if Soloveitchik also, in the, in the uh, Hespit he gave for the Tolna Rebetzin, he distinguished between Torah Simecha, what he called the, the Torah of the father versus the Torah of the mother. Musar Avicha Torah Simecha. What is the Torah Simecha? He says, my father taught me the rules. I went through the Lama Tes Malachas and the Shulchan Aruch and the Postkim and the rules and the analysis and the Chetzegavra and the Brisker Torah. But well, who gave me Shabbos? My mother. The love, the passion, the feeling, the sights, the smells, the flavors. Said the Rav, who made me believe that the Shabbos queen was in our house? That was my mother. And he writes, without my mother, I would be a dry, soulless being. A dry being with no soul. I'd have a great intellect, but I would have no soul. That's up to you. It's up to us, our children, our grandchildren. If we are to feel the beauty, the sanctity, the greatness of Shabbos, the excitement that we're going to put our, all our fakakta technology away, and we're going to put our need to control away, and we're going to put our ego and arrogance and demand and entitlement to understand, we're putting that all away. It'll be waiting at Havdalah. But for 24 hours, we're going to be immersed in one another and immersed in the Kaddish Baruch Hu, in Amuna, in the one who's really in control. And we're just going to sit at that Shabbos table and sing and talk and share with a sense of gratitude to Hashem and promoting our deep emunah. Let's conclude. Revolba says, the person who believes is the one who's really free. You live with your clear emunah. Nobody can change your mind. Not the radio, not the newspapers, and not popular opinion. You're not a politician. Politicians, they do a poll. Poll says, believe like this, I believe like this. The poll says, okay, I believe like that. Whatever the poll tells me is more popular to believe is where I'll believe. I gotta go to this side, I gotta go to the middle, I gotta go to the left. We're not living lives of popularity contests. We're not polling to see what will make us most favorable. We're living lives of truth. And we are staying true to a Kurdish Baruch Hu. Not what it says on the radio or the newspapers, and not with popular opinion. We are living in a world where there's relentless, relentless messages that are broadcast at us all the time. News, fake news, counterfeit news, true news, distorted news. It's all around us. You can't be alive without it being in our face. And we don't even realize the impact it's having on us. The subliminal messages, the subconscious influence of marketing, of the media, of pop culture, of the world. And you know what it's saying? Eh, you're part of antiquity. You're antiquated. You and your traditional values, your moral compass, eh, you're outdated. Update your car and update your cell phone and update your software and update your convictions. And we turn and we say, no, no, no. You know, sometimes new is not better. A nicer car is better. An upgraded software, an upgraded cell phone is better. But ask Coke what happened when they came out with new Coke. Anyone remember? Sometimes new is not better. 
And when it comes to our convictions and our values, new is not better. They are trying to enslave us. It is trying to make us subservient to whatever the world and pop culture and modern ethos tell us are true. But we have to fight it. We have to be willing to swim, swim upstream. We have to be like we talked about last week. We have to be the progeny of Avram Avinu, who was Me'ever. He was Ha'ivri. He was not afraid to be. The whole world was on this side, and he was on the other side. The whole world says these are, these are proper moral values in the world of intimacy or the world of orientation or identity. We have our own values. This is the proper values in the world of time or relationships or food or space. We have our own values. This is the proper value in modesty and dress. We have our own values. This is the proper value in the world of finance and economy. We have our time-tested and timeless and true Torah values. And to be free, to be free from their shackles and subservience, we have to stay true with emuna to who we are and what we believe. There's two choices. We are either consumed by envy and by lust and by honor. In other words, we're either living arrogant lives where we think we're in charge, a sense of physical and spiritual entitlement, or we're living with emuna. We are mitzamtim ourselves. We hold back and we have humility and we realize I'm a blip in the scream. I'm vulnerable. I'm fragile. I'm finite. I am gurnished. I am nothing. In the world of emuna, it's limitless. If we can reduce ourselves and live with humility and make room for Hashem, it's limitless. Our mission, our job is to elevate ourselves and live with emuna. It's hard to be on that plane. It's hard to live on that level all the time. In the morning, boom, we get a charge of Amuna. I went to the Amuna Shir. I subscribed to 17 Amuna emails and WhatsApp groups and Amuna Minute and Amuna Two Minutes and the Amuna Three Minutes. I, you know, so I, I, my morning starts with a jolt of coffee and a burst of Amuna. And then what happens by the time we get to Mincha, I forgot all about humility in God, I'm living a life of arrogance and ego, edging God out. There is no room for God. By the time I got to Mincha, I thought I was in charge. I made the great business deal. I'm the one who's responsible for my life. So therefore, the Amuna muscle, we have to exercise over and over and over again. We're never done reminding ourselves. That's what we went through, the Mea Brachos. We have to recite a hundred Brachos. Oh, I forgot to bring the cards to give out. There's a young man who listens to the Amuna Shir, and he sent me in the mail, unbelievable. A soldier in Israel who still needs our tefillos desperately. So he produced, after listening to our shirim, he made cards that are numbered to 100 and lists the kind of brachas we make and a paper clip and a picture of the soldier on it for us to carry and move the paper clip to count our 100 brachas and have in mind the soldier. I gotta bring him next week. I have them. Unbelievable young man who just uh, listened to the shir and with great humility sent it on his own. Unbelievable. So, what does Hashem ask? A hundred times a day we remind ourselves, I'm gurnished, I'm not entitled, I don't deserve to understand, I don't deserve to receive, I'm nothing. A hundred times a day we make a bracha and we realize there's an Ebishter, there's an Almighty, He's in charge. He is in charge. During davening, ooh, we climb that ladder, we go to the highest place. From there, from the highest place, you ever go to a tall lookout? In Florida, the highest mountain is the garbage dump next to the turnpike. <laughs> but if you go into a real skyscraper, 
if you go to the real top of a high building, the view is unbelievable. So from the street level, all you could see is two feet in front of you. But the higher you go, the further you see. So the same is true with Emuna. The higher you go, the further you see. So what happens is when we go higher and higher and we embrace the light of Amuna, we bring it back down into this world and we dispel the darkness. There is so much darkness. And that's how we get to become whole. There is so much darkness. There's so much struggle. There's so much pain. There's so much darkness. And the way to dispel that darkness, to illuminate that darkness, is with Amuna. So I end the way we began. We dedicated our shir, Baruch Tzvi Ben Rivka our beloved and dear, incredible friend, Brian. And one of Brian's amazing strengths that he continues, and please God will continue, to teach us is Amuna. Hashem is awesome. Hashem is great. I don't know if I've ever met somebody who talks more about Shem Shemayim Shagor Befiv, loving Hashem. Hashem is great. Everything is amazing. Even when going through horrific pain and horrific suffering and horrific challenges and horrific future, to be able to say Hashem is great is the ultimate of humility, of making room. And when there's someone, Brian or other Chola Yisrael who are in our minds all the time, one of the great schusim we do is to daven for them. To a certain degree, that's easy. It's lip service, literally. You say Tehillim, and it's important, but it can remain only in our lips. The greatest schus is to be like them, is to live with that amuna, for it to not just be on our lips, but to filter down into our head and into our hearts, that as we go through our day, to feel Hashem is great, Hashem is awesome. And even if all I see is the back of the tapestry right now and there's loose, heads, loose threads that make a very ugly, chaotic picture, to live with the amuna that Hashem is great and Hashem is awesome. And someday I'll see the other side where it all comes together perfectly.